Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, as we were just remarking on our Facebook Live feed, well, I, this warm-up on the Facebook Live, I feel like we're really, I feel like by the time we hit record, we're loose. Yeah. It's like we're getting the audience ready, which is really us. We get ourselves ready. You know, it's like, uh, I've been watching the Larry Sanders show. I've gone back watching the old Larry <laughs> Sanders. It's hilarious. Hey now. Hey well, don't, now. Hey now. Well, don't say that. It's part of my thing. The audience <laughs> loves it. <laughs> All right, uh, you're about to see a sign that says applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> so today uh, we were taking a break, as we said, uh, from our series. Not a long break. We're, no, we'll you know, be we're, back to it next week. Back to it next week uh, on our Theology Outline series, which has been really stimulating. Thank you, Bill, by the way. I mean, I, I've told you this in our private conversations, which – if you become a $50 a month Patreon sponsor, <laughs> we'll start taping our private conversations, which that would be fascinating. Uh, $100 a month, come over and I'll make you lunch. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can read us. A, by, you, the way, I, by the way, I, need, I want to redo the promo. I, want, I, I feel like it's time. You for, can do the promo. Uh, it's time for me to do my kind of take. I you, would love that. You have your personality. I have an idea already what kind of music we'll use. I, so. I'm terrible at voiceovers, I think. No, I'm, you're good at voiceovers. I, 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 it's not something I'm really that mm. – like, it's, it's, hard, it's no, the hardest I mean, thing for me to do. No, you do, you do it well. I just I think a little change-up pitch. Change-up pitch. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so we were taking a little break, and, and again, I was saying thank you. I mean, I feel like I have – I was telling you this the other day. I feel like I've learned so much mm, yeah. from our conversations, both on the podcast and then just yeah. kind of in between that – that it's really, I mean, I, I just been really stretched. You know, another thing I think I found in, that these conversations, these theological, historical conversations, I'm teaching church history one again for the first time in seven years. I think it's a whole different level. That, that sounds like such a great opening line to a country song. What? <laughs> I'm church, teaching church history again for the first time in seven years. In seven years since you left me in the library. Exactly. There we go. I'll work on that. All right. But has it been helpful? Oh, it's been very helpful. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a very, it's a whole, because I think it just brings a certain dynamic. I, I, I actually think what we do here is really the nature of, of, of what, of how the tradition on the ground operated. There always has been institutional issues. There always been, you know, bishops trying to create boundaries and, you know, didn't want, you know, origin doing this or that and, but, you know, the, the dynamic of theological discourse was engaged fully with a text, with a time, with the issues around them. And I think that, I think what we try to do is, is we certainly have a great respect for the tradition. We're informed by the tradition. We're committed to the living tradition, but it's a dynamic that is something that, um, you know, I love the Irenaeus's image that he really saw that, that the Christian project was this kind of love relationship that, that kept growing. Yeah. And I think that's, I think all these impetuses to retreat to certain places, um, I, I just think that it, it loses the great romance. I, I loved uh, Chesterton, the romance of orthodoxy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think this this process, um, there's something very, um, very helpful for me about it as well. So thank you as well. Thank you, yeah. So we're taking a break, and our break today will be, yeah, I was kind of inspired by this conversation I had today, which the interview won't be out until next week. Because which is a little closer to the book's release date, but it's called Midlife, a Philosophical Guide by Kieran Setia. And he is uh, a philosopher, a little school called the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Is that a two year or four year school? <laughs> it's, I think it's a trade school. <laughs> 
It's uh, it's a trade school at a halfway house. Oh, okay. right. uh, but it's interesting because he teaches philosophy, and you know MIT is really intentional about those students doing humanities work, and they actually do have a PhD program in philosophy too. But he was, you know, he's he wanted to be a philosopher since he was 15 years old. Really interesting. And he actually had a midlife crisis and it was kind of just depression and he didn't understand why. Like, look, I'm, I, I'm the career I want. I, I, I've got a wife I love. I've got a, a beautiful son. I've got, but just like he starts thinking like you write one philosophy paper, then the next, then right. the next. And, and the life of quiet desperation sort of stuff. And he basically thought, well, what if philosophy would be useful in my life? Behind how old is he? He's in his forties. Yeah, so he's at he's at MIT in his forties. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I actually, the New York Times asked him to to do a, a sort of scaled down version of the last chapter of the book, I think, um, about living present, about yeah. the challenge of living present, which appeared in the Times a couple of days ago, and we thought we could talk about that. And it's so we you know read the article, and now we'll share a few reflections about living in the present, after which we will both levitate on Facebook Live. We will get in our lotus position and levitate. Dramatic pause. I, yeah. both. <laughs> uh, I also would say, you know, um, from my, I listened to a little bit of your conversation, and then I've also, you've been telling me about it, you've told me the book. I, I think the article is fine. It's, I mean, what he writes is much more dynamic. I mean, in terms oh, of... Oh, yeah, it's a reduced... It's a very it's, reduced, yeah, so I mean, don't, it's, it's don't judge the whole... I mean, it's fine, but don't judge the whole based on, on that. But it is really interesting uh, in terms of, uh, you know, again, I uh, it's always nice to see Brother Aristotle show up again. And this idea of, I, I, you know, before I jump into Tom, Thomas Merton, because after I read it, I immediately remembered a chapter. I mean, I really thought of a chapter of Thomas Merton. But he, he takes two concepts um, that uh, Aristotle talks about, and the and really a way of analyzing what we do. Those two concepts are. Yeah. And he says, you know, there are telic activities, which is related to the word telos, right? Yeah. With the end in mind. Yes. So, you know, maybe I want to, you know, I have to cut the grass or maybe I want to maintain a great lawn or something, you know, or finish a book, you know, writing a book. Well, or, maintaining a great lawn would be different. Actually, yeah, right. That's yeah, a bad analogy. Yeah. So th things that have like some end in mind, like I want to reform the healthcare system or I want to uh, help, uh, you know, structurally change all the churches in this area of Pennsylvania, or I, or I want to kind of, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking to, uh, you know, raise the biggest endowment ever for the Philadelphia Art Museum. I want to get my sermon done by Saturday morning. Or by Saturday morning, yeah. right? They're li they can be little. They can yeah, be yeah. They can be little or big. I, uh, we, I, we need to get our. Uh, we need to get our kids' uh, college applications in, and that whole process. Those yeah, or or getting married. I have a goal of getting married. Yeah, you know, uh, or so they can be immediate. Making dinner, getting married, starting a family. All these things are talic activities. And the, and the thing is that you, the challenge with them is one of two things: either you don't get it done, and you're crushed by the, you know, by the oh, I didn't make get the talus, or you get it done, and then what's next? Right. Like like if everything is sort of put in these achievements. It's, it's sort of like, you know, the goalposts. Oh, it's just like growing up. You think like, okay, if I just get this girl to go to the prime with me, then I'll feel at ease. Oh, wait. I, well, maybe if I get the 1600 MSATs or even just get 1100, you know, or wait, if I just get into this college, if I just get this job, well, if I get the promotion, if I just, the goalposts just keep moving. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. I had a friend uh, who told me a story. He was a chemical engineer major, and those guys were the scary, smart persons and, and people. And he um, was at the University of Texas. And 
and there was a group of them that were always struggling. There was this, the most brilliant student in her class was this woman. And like sometimes they would get desperate and they'd call her, you know, they'd be late at night. And she was a quit bother. She, you know, she, it just came naturally to her. She killed herself when she was 30 years old. Oh, and wow. and she left the note she left. She goes, there's nothing less to accomplish. I'm bored. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's an extreme example of. You know, what happens when you achieve a certain goal when you I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, the glass ceiling hits you somewhere along the line, you know, and and it, usually most people, it's, it, it hits you before you achieve your ultimate goals. But what do you, you know, again, nonetheless, whether you achieve your ultimate goal and then what's next or the glass ceiling, whatever that ceiling is, hits you when you're you've, you can't go any further in your career or whatever. Um you know, it was funny. I, one of the things I always, my kids all played athletics and I helped coach it. And one of the things I always thought that was great about athletics and same thing as a musician, which, you know, I was a musician uh, and that was the thing I did, um, was that there's always someone better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just like that thing we, I, the story we talked about the other day when Rob Bell was like, I got on the cover of Time Magazine growing up. That was like, a, and then you go to the store next week. Wait, someone else is on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah like you're, and, you know, even my, my kids play, you know, make college athletic teams, but then they were surrounded by everybody else. You know, I, I was the same thing that happened. I remember, you know, the first test you get in, in at Princeton, uh, seminary, you know, everybody's depressed because they're all used to being the A students everywhere. And of course they, you know, Princeton, at least the way it used to be, those intro classes were meant to break you. It didn't matter what you did. They were going to break you. So I will break you. I will break you. So I think that's, that's a very real dynamic in life. Now, again, you know, I don't want to, I'm going to go ahead and jump to Merton because I think Merton, uh, and this is a book I, every opportunity I had to either give this book away, I used to, I would teach periodically, I would teach some practical theology classes. I always made this a required book. Um, it's, it's No Man's an Island. Bill, Bill's copy uh, also is waterlogged. I mean, it, he walked in with it today, like looking at, and I was like, what is this, an ancient man? Like, is this a, like an alchemy book? I mean, it's very, it's, it's, you don't take books you care about camping with. <laughs> But actually, it kind of adds to the, the mystique of it. Mystique of it all. But I, I, there's see, there's a necessity for us to act. You know, Merton says, "No soul does not find itself unless it acts. Therefore, it must act." Stagnation and inactivity bring spiritual death. But my soul must not project itself entirely into the outward efforts of its activity. I do not need to see myself. I merely need to be myself. Yeah, and we, you and I have talked about that a lot. Seeing versus being yourself, which I think is and this is a different. I think this is a different angle on that. Yeah. Because in some levels, there are certain the activities that are most life giving are the ones that are sustaining. In other words, you know, you use the earlier example. I need to get my grass cut by Friday. Okay, that may or may not be something that's good, but maintaining a beautiful lawn. Yeah, like garden, a cultivation of a of a landscape. That's a lifestyle. That's a commitment. Yeah. That's a value, and that's that's something. Um, now, again, like with anything, that can be a that can be something negative because I want to make my yard look better than my neighbors, or I really love to be engaged with making beautiful things. So, but that's the difference between the two activity, and we are by nature we are cry we we have to do the the goal oriented things. And I think to me, one of the insanity, and I've, you know, I've, I've spent the last 30 years of my life listening to corporate leaders, what they've had to deal with. And, you know, on all levels, I mean, from CEOs, you know, middle management, all, all levels. And this maddening short-term um, orientation <clears throat> for stockholders, you know, it's not about long-term, it's what, what's happened this quarter. And I mean, I've seen productive people laid off in order so they could, you know, so the company could show, well, I'm going to alleviate payroll. Uh, 
So there's there's this maddening uh, kind of sense of what's out there. I mean, for instance, the government, which is part of what he, he which also on a side note, uh, the, which also states to the kind of like, well, if you give uh, co- corporations lower tax rates, they'll create more jobs. That's just already on. You look at there's been studies of Fortune 500 that won't profits happen. rise. I mean, because part of the way the stocks are wired. And again, I'm not faulting. By the way, the I sec- love the Koch brothers commercials. They have these middle class people. It's time for help. It's time for tax <laughs> reform so that I can help rich people and I won't see a bit of it. You know, they don't have that commercial. That's not what they're saying. It's just, and I'm not saying like you know corporations. Yeah, we have, be, we have, yes, we have a be, stock market system that incentivizes that. So I'm saying there I'm needs not, to be a tax. There needs to be tax reform. Yeah, it, but I'm just saying like this is this is reality that like actually your stock goes up when you cut jobs. Like like by the way, add, just, adding uh, jobs doesn't make you look like a better company. On by that. the way, your populist president charges the government five hundred plus dollars a, a night. <laughs> For people to, for government people to come and stay at his places. So, anyway, I'm sure all you people. If for a Patreon sponsorship of twenty dollars a month, we will name the guest room above the bunker after you, like the Lincoln bedroom. It could be the whatever bedroom, and you can let whoever stay you want to stay in it if for, they're passing through language. For fifty dollars a month, you can stay at my place. If for a hundred dollars a month, I'll clean the sheets. That's a I've lot. got multiple rooms. That's right. a lot. That's a lot. I'll clean the sheets for him. Though. Bill's a good cook too. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going and you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, and David Zoll. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. No, the whole point is that, uh, you know, let's take our current situation. What we have right now is neither the ability to govern. I mean, you know, that's part of the reason a lot of good people, some of our best politicians leave because a lot of people, regardless of their motivation, I think most people run for office. Part of them is motivated because they want to do good. They either love the country or whatever. Um, but governing is a is a you know is a value you know and right now neither is governing a value or accomplishing things yeah. and so it's that's part of why you don't I mean that's why I my guess would be uh, some of the worst morale in the country would be probably. In, in the halls of government right now because they're they're not able to thrive on either of those things. Yeah, no, and that's where, you know, where Kieran ends this article talking about 
politics. And part of that, he was was intentional because they kind of wanted that kind of, it's not how the chapter in the book flows, but like, but yeah, I mean, this, this sense that when we're working for change, that's a good thing. You know, we're working for, uh, our shared political arrangements to reflect something more like the love of God and neighbor or something. But, but there's the end that just actually sort of, uh, Leslie Newbegin said political action is best understood as an enacted prayer for the coming of the kingdom. Hmm. And so seeing it as an, having an end in itself, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, that the, and this is actually Kieran in his own work. He actually realized that the, that there was a beauty in the atelic nature of his work in just trying to cultivate wisdom and the love of the truth and exploration of these things that as a kid he found wonder in. Uh, and that, you know, he, I think it sounds like he kind of lost sight of in the midst of faculty meetings and professional, <laughs> and then I'm climbing up the ladder. And then, you know, it, it, it you know, the, and there's something interesting about midlife where this happens because he's in the beginning of the book, he cites these studies that the UN has found that across the board there's this U shaped curve where like and it's different in different countries and under less developed countries the the u isn't as deep but it seems to be across the board early in life like your satisfaction is higher because you got a lot in front of you and you got hope and you don't know your limitations for most cultures and of course it bottoms in midlife because mm. you got a lot behind you you realize you got about the same in front of you <laughs> you yeah. figure you're a lot more limited and it goes up again at the end of life for most people because you take less, a little less for granted if you're a little yeah. lucky. And, and, and so, it, and, you know, what we talked about in our conversation was in late modern, cult, like industrialized societies, the U is really deep because, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you're not rummaging unless you're in real poverty and struggling situations. Right. So most people that are middle class are not at least rummaging for food all the time. And, right. so, and so you have such expectations on work and relationships and identity and self-actualization. And that's just tough. You know, one of the things I, I actually said that in the article I read for Mockingbird, one of the things I discovered kind of in my own coming to grips and hitting the wall um, was that um, kind of learning to live a little smaller. Yeah. You know, one of the things I just I had a conversation today and one of the things that, that uh, really came out is that I spent a good portion of my um, adult life prior to the last summer years, over-functioning. You know, I had one of those kind of personalities that over-functioned. Now, part of it was not my own choosing. Part of it is how, you know, I had children. I had a demanding job. I had, you know, you get the opportunities to come your way. You know, well, okay, I got asked to teach. I'm overcommitted right now, but it, boy, I may not get an opportunity to teach again. You know, and, and a lot of, you know, suddenly 20 years later, you've been spending your whole life over-functioning. And I think, you know, one of the things that that Merton says Later on in this chapter, the value of our activity depends almost entirely on the humility to accept ourselves as we are. The reason why we do things so badly is that we are not content to do what we can. I mean, that really is that. I mean, I think one of the reasons this book speaks so to me is because that it's it is exactly I you know an overfunctioning person, which I was, is someone who who doesn't put a, doesn't fully own your limitation. Yeah. And he goes on to say, um, you once told me years ago that part of the essence of the spiritual life is learning to love your limits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and this, later on, he goes, a man who fails well is greater than one who succeeds badly. And I think, yeah, that, I yeah. Think, yeah, you know, in other words, yeah. because there's a sense where that's where the being and the doing, you know, in other words, and I think that's if you are uh, engaged in activity that in some levels is an end unto itself. Uh, and, and whether that's being, you know, um, the goal, for instance, if you have a great cup of coffee, the goal is let me get this cup, let me get this down so I can get going. You, you try to savor it. 
Uh, you know, there was a sense where, I mean, uh, this is, I, unless you're this guy at the small world coffee shop in Princeton, like our mutual friend, Christian Andrews used to watch him every day. He would come in some eccentric guy, like, I don't know if he's a universe person. He would come in, order a shot, smell it and pound it and leave uh, the coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. You know, today I, you know, it's funny. I, I loved my cup of coffee this morning. I only usually drink one Could cup. Could the Jaeger bomb be an atelic drink? You know the Jaeger bomb yes, where you're in the yes. beer? It's a Guinness, right? And you take a shot of Jaeger, Mike, and a Guinness. Could you have an atelic Jaeger bomb? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, the interesting thing is I enjoyed my first cup so much that I that it was interesting. I said, you know, I'm going to have a second cup. And it, it just it didn't work. You know, it's an interesting thing. The I it, it's a kind of a lesson sometimes of the means. The means of you know, uh, he's inspired by Aristotle, and Aristotle said really a lot of enjoyment, virtue are is really the means between a number of extremes. And I think to me, there's a sense that was really stimulated by this article is, is how do we how do we build more of those maintaining things in our lives that are ends in themselves, and those are the things that bring the most joy. Anyway, you know, I um. I, I did. I think I was able to do that as a father. I really tried to be present to the moments with my kids um, because I just and I worked with high school kids. And so I had this really strong sense of sequences of things and kids moving and things. And I, I did. You know, I remember stopping and reflecting. This this day is never going to be here again. Let me be present to that. Uh, you know, in this stage of my life, I'm learning more to be that way, both with God and other things. And I think, to me, that's that's an amazing, liberating, and promise of this of this message he has. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that that the yeah, it's funny. It's it, everything is about metrics some days, right? Like we're always looking at measurable objectives and stuff like that. And and there's something to that. You, you want to know what impact your activity has. But like, yeah, I was thinking about that just today. I mean, this is the second meaningful conversation I've had today, like it, it, that are about really deep things with people I enjoy. And, and yeah, it, there's something about that that is a gift all in itself uh, that, yeah, it's, there's a real, uh, there's a beauty in that. Yeah. I, you know, it's fine. We, I think we do this podcast because it's good for our souls and our minds. Yeah. You know, again, uh, maybe this last thing I'll go to murder. But also, though, it doesn't stop you if you want to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, did the yeah, this is the uh, behind the, behind behind the music. It was in 2017 that suddenly they lost. <laughs> no. um, we cannot avoid missing the point. This is Burton. We cannot avoid missing the point of almost everything we do. I love. It. We cannot avoid missing the point of almost everything we do. But what of it? Life is not a matter of getting something out of everything. Life itself is imperfect. All created beings begin to die as soon as they begin to live. And no one expects any one of them to become absolutely perfect, still less to stay that way. Each individual thing is only a sketch of a specific perfection planned for its kind. Why should we ask it to be anything more? I think that's contentment, you know, and enjoying the ride. Yeah, and I think for from the perspective of Christian spirituality, I think it's best. It's really interesting. Uh, Gerhard Farder's book, Where God Meets Man, he starts by talking about the song "We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder," and he's like, "Look, I'm not saying there is probably something to progress and." spirituality or whatever but he says you know what's funny it's like it, it seems like the cross came that the ladder came down that it doesn't have to be climbed right <laughs> and then we're like okay well let's climb up the cross you know like so i think there's something about the atelicness of of christian spirituality i think is that is that the end of all things finds us and actually if you fully both in jacob's ladder and also in the in the cosmic story of, of the crucifix it's an ascending and a descending oh it's a, yeah. there's always both things going on yeah 
Yeah. And so I think that the beauty is something in that, like that we are uh, God's atelic. I mean, that there's something, it's amazing that, that the love of God uh, descends. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's, so how are we, how are you, I'm about to go cook dinner and I'm going to be very, this podcast has made me, I'm going to be very present to the smells and all the other things that, that are very pleasant about. To me, cooking is a very therapeutic thing for me, but, and I think that's, so it's, it's I like the end result. And sometimes I annoy the people I cook for by saying, well, how was it? How was this? Or I, someone one time told me, would you, because, you know, you know, me. I, afterwards they said, would you please stop analyzing? The meal's great. <laughs> you know, all right. I don't know if it could have been better or not. Just, would you just be quiet and enjoy it? So that's, that's my, you know, that's my uh, over-functioning self. But uh, I want to just be present to the, to the good food that, uh, unfortunately, God's provided me a job that I can buy it and enjoy it and the company that I'll keep with it and all that will be good things. How about you? I'm going to go exhaust Lindy. <laughs> Probably like be ADHD and sort of like be like a tornado. Of one energy. of the most, but one of the most beautiful, Lindy loving you is one of the most beautiful it's being nice. things it's, I've, it's, I've uh, it's part very, of. It's a, it's a labor of it, love. It, 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 <laughs> it, but it actually, it, I, it, it, it blesses me as well. Well, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in with us and have a great week. Have a good weekend. Be good to yourselves and, and uh, do a little being as well as doing. Yeah. Thank you. Right, God bless. Chinese restaurant